at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Stop doing that one day. I am your host, EJ Fagan, and tonight I am joined by Martin Alonzo. Hey, EJ, how are you? I'm good, good. Mar- by the way, is it Mar- am I saying it wrong? Should I just be saying Martin? Uh, actually, I respond to both. Like, it's officially Martin, but oh. uh, friends at school call me Martin, so I'm used to it. I, I, I used to get chastised by my French Canadian uh, mother if I called Martin Berdor uh, Martin Berdor. So uh, I, that, that's how I'm going to go. Uh, Martine, uh, sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name. We've got a wonderful episode t- uh, today. We're going to get nerdy. So this is like the stat, stat nerd warning right now. This is going to be a nerdy episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. We have some new statistics and baseball prospectus to talk about. This is brand new, innovative stuff. And, uh, and we're just going to dive right into it. So Martine, we've got, uh, first we've got a set of three new statistics uh, from baseball perspective, uh, perspectives, these statistics are power score, command score, and stamina score. They all write pitchers, uh, so we're going to be talking a little bit about the Yankee pitchers. Um, but first, do you know just a little bit of, of, of maybe why these these statistics were developed and what uh, what leverage that like, overall they give us? Uh, well, yeah, these statistics were developed over uh, by the BP stats team, especially Jeff Long and Harry Pavlidis, and what they're measuring. They're, they're not predictive scores, they're measuring scores, and what they're trying to gauge is how good a pitcher is at controlling his fastball and his off-speed pitches. That's the power score. You got command score, which is how good a pitcher is at hitting his spots, and you got the stamina, which is how good a pitcher is after he's rest, based on rest, batters faced, and the pitches, pitch count that he has from one game to the next. All right, so so these these tell us things that we they they use some things that we already knew. Some of the statistics that are in here, um, some of the, these are based on on statistics that we already had. Some of them are actually quite new, based on um, a, a lot of the uh, um, uh, bat, uh, pitch location data. So I'd like to start off with the command score. So Martin, can you explain what the components of the command score are? Yeah, the command score is built on call strikes above average (CSAA). And what it measures is how good a pitcher is at hitting his spots when the count needs him to, to hit his spots. So basically it's how good a pitcher is at getting that strike on the corner when the, when the count is 3-0. and 0, Or how good he is at making a batter swing when he's ahead 0-2 and he throws a ball. So it's basically trying to quantify what, how good the pitcher is at trying to deceive and get and get strikes. That's on the call strikes above average. The other component that's being used is the call strike probability, which basically is measuring the how good the pitcher is at hitting the exact target. So how good he is at going just borderline on the bottom of the corner or hitting that top mark on the top of the of the strike zone. 
And so these pitchers, they, they tend to get more favorable calls from umpires. Um, they tend to, as we know, just they, they're they're better hitting their spots in the zone, and so they're able to you know prevent those really bad batted balls very often. And they're better; they take better advantage of framing. So a more consistent pitcher is more likely for to have a catcher have a high framing score. Does that make sense? Yeah, it completely makes sense. For example, Dallas Keuchel is a, a leading example of this kind of pitcher, of pitchers who are favorably reviewed by the command score. He's somebody who uses his sink, who's known to use his sinker to fool pitchers. He's known to work the edges of the strike zone. So he gets pitcher, he gets hitters to swing at balls that are outside of the strike zone, and he g- generates weak contact from pitches just inside of the strike zone. All right, so who are the best Yankees returning to this roster? So there's some people on this list that aren't returning. Let's just ignore them. Who are the best Yankees uh, at command, according to the command score? Well, according to the command score, you got Adam Warren, who's leading with a command score of 70. Then you got CeCe Sabathia with a command score of 58. Uh, Chad Green and Masahiro Tanaka round out the top four. So it's an interesting group, right? So Adam Warren, I, if you had asked me who has the best command on, on the Yankees, I would not have said Adam Warren. Um, but it, but it's interesting. Adam Warren had a great year last year, and it seems like in, he had a great year in part because he was hitting his corners. And you know that you know with, with, for, with for a guy who has you know like good stuff, but not not you know Chad Green or Aldis Chapman kind of stuff. That's that's pretty impressive. It is. It is because as pitchers get older, and well, in the case of old pitchers, I now say Adam Warren is fairly new to the system. But in the case of older pitchers, as they start as they start to lose speed. And velocity off their pitches. What they're starting, what they're gonna start doing is gonna start working with command, and their off-speed pitches. So, for example, this is what happens with Bartolo Colon, who, who's, well, whose long-lived uh, career is now based mostly on getting hitters to swing, rather than trying to beat them with a the fastball. All right. So let's talk about the the bad players. So which which players in the Yankees have the worst command score? Well, you got Jason <laughs> Shreve at the bottom. Followed by Jordan Montgomery, and rounding out the bottom three is Tom Tommy Conley. Yeah, so David Robertson, Tommy Conley, Jordan Montgomery, Chase and Shreve. I mean, I don't think any of us are surprised that David David Robertson and Tommy Conley have bad command scores after last year. These guys don't walk the ballpark anymore, but they're they're not really hitting their spots. No, not at all. Uh, though I will say this for Conley that he is highly ranked by the power score. I want to get to that in a minute, but first I want to, I want to stick with the command score right here. Um, so I, I find this very interesting. The Yankees in general have um, – are, are, most of the Yankees are slightly below average on the command score, um, which, is, which is fine. You know, it's not it's, – we're not um, – the Yankees aren't uh, – uh, they, 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 they grade out well in some of the other ones. Um, but the Yankees have guys like Geraldo Chapman, Sonny Gray, Dylan Patances, Tommy Conley, Robertson, we've already mentioned, who they, they just don't have great command. Um, I think I'm most encouraged by seeing CeCe Sabathia up high here because it helps to explain to us why CeCe Sabathia is still good at pitching in baseball. Um, we know from, for example, the StatCast data that, that CeCe Sabathia has not been getting lucky with batted balls. He has, in fact, been inducing real weak contact and, and has kind of reinvented his career that way. Um, this tells us that part of what, what that is, part of what's going on there, is that he has really good command. Exactly. Sabathia saw a renaissance uh, last, last season, especially in the postseason, and 
the reason he's been so good is because he's been able to steal those strikes on the, on the corner, and he's been able to get pitchers to swing through his curveball and his changeup. All right, so I want to move on to the power score. Uh, so tell me what the components of the power score are. Okay, power score has three components. First off, it's your average fastball velocity. Then that's complemented with your, the fastball percentage, how much a pitcher is using his fastball, his fastball. And the third one is the average velocity of all his off-speed pitches. Now, so are, I want to note for a second. So we have we have we have power. That's pretty. You know, we have average fastball velocity and how often they throw their fastball. That makes sense. The third one, which which is the the average velocity of your off-speed pitches, to me is interesting because it it, it says that it. Having a higher power score is not necessarily a good thing. We think about separation between pitches as often being a good thing, where if, if a guy has a, a 92-mile-an-hour fastball and an, an 88-mile-an-hour slider, that isn't very useful, or an 88-mile-an-hour changeup. That, that gap doesn't fool hitters all that much. Um, but a gap of 10 miles an hour or even more, or you know, even if you're what, you, know, you Darvish throws like, what, like a 55-mile-an-hour changeup or a curveball or something, that, that is a big, that's a big deal. Um, so, yeah, it's basically what kind of speed, what kind of pitches are complementing your fastball. So basically, it's rewarding pitchers who complement their fastballs with a slider over pitchers who complement them with curveballs. So a guy like Justin Verlander is more highly ranked on the power score than somebody like Clayton Kershaw. Right, but my point though is just that higher higher command is always good by the, by this score. Higher stamina is always good by this score. Higher power is not necessarily good by this score. Not in this day and age where pitchers are connecting them, hitting everything for home runs. But, but yeah, a high power score is an indicator that a, a pitcher has a high usage of fastball and he's, his fastball is fast. All right, so tell me who on the Yankees have high power scores. Well, believe it or not, your leader, your Yankee leader is Aroldis Chapman. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that's probably the best in the game, I'm assuming. Yes, that's the best in the game by a wide margin. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So, so Aroldis Chapman throws his fastball a lot. He's got a big fastball, and his off-speed pitchers aren't that slow. Um, so who else on the Yankees are good at power? Well, the next three are Tommy Connolly, then Chad Green, and Luis Clarino are the top four. Yankees pitchers. No surprise, right? No <laughs> surprise whatsoever. The Yankees throw heat more than pretty much any other team in baseball. These guys throw heat. At, but the interesting thing is, as great as these guys are, as great as Luis Severino is in terms of power, I mean, Luis Severino can touch 100 miles an hour. He is way below Araldis Chapman. So Araldis Chapman has a score of 92, and Luis Severino has an excellent score of 65. It's a huge difference. Yeah. And Aralus Chapman it leads the league also with power score because the next closest to the next pitcher closer to him is Andy Romero with a power score of 84. Eight po- that's eight points below Aralus Chapman. So he is still an outlier even as he starts to get a little bit old. Exactly. Um, so so let's talk about some of the Yankees that are a little bit lower down on this list. So uh, let's ignore again the the two guys the the two guys who aren't on the team anymore. Tell me about the bottom part of this list for the Yankees. Well, the bottom part, again, is Jordan Montgomery, followed by Masahiro Tanaka, Adam Warren, and CeCe Sabathia. So I'm a little bit worried here. I see Jordan Montgomery as both a low command score and a low power score. Should I be selling Jordan Montgomery? Uh, not necessarily, because what saves Montgomery is his stamina score. He's able to, to go deep and, he, and go as often as possible. 
So Maybe let me uh, let's, let's save that for 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 one second here. Um, so there, there's other, there's other ways we can make up for this, and we're going to talk about uh, something called pitch tunneling uh, fairly soon. And and we should note that Statcast loves Jordan Montgomery, thinks that Jordan Montgomery is pretty good, um, but he does grade low on power and command, and so there's got to be something else going on if he's if he's going to be that good. Masahiro Tanaka also grades out pretty low here, as does CC Sabathia. In fact, Masahiro Tanaka is lower than CC Sabathia. I get the sense that that's because Masahiro Tanaka throws his splitter a lot. Yeah, it could, it could be that, because Masahiro Tanaka relies a lot on his splitter, while Sabathia relies on the changeup, which is a little bit faster, but still not fast enough to complement his fastball usage. Yeah, so, so another interesting list, but let's move on to the stamina score. Can you explain to me the components of stamina score? Okay, so what stamina does is it measures how deep a pitcher goes into a game, and by deep I mean innings he's throwing, batters he's facing, and how many pitches he's throwing. Then it takes how many days you're resting, so whether it, you're a reliever it's one, two, three days, where you're a starter it's your four or five day rotation, and based on that, it takes it counts next game start or next game's appearance and how many innings you threw, how many pitches you used, how many batters you faced. And based on that, it measures how resistant you are, uh, how resistant you are, and how sustainable your pitches are when go- throwing back-to-back games or going deep into outings. Now, now we should note that this is the the score is very different for relievers and for starters. You can't really compare the two groups. Um, so I want to start with starters first and just talk about them and then just talk about relievers. So I, this will not surprise anybody. I'm just going to read out the order of starters since there's only a few of them. Uh, the best on the Yankees is Luis Severino with a score of 78. Second best is Sonny Gray, Masahiro Tanaka, Jordan Montgomery, and finally CC Sabathia. Uh, are there any surprises there for you? Not at all, because CC Sabathia is not the workhorse he used to be. He's he's going now five innings and done. Exactly. While Luis Severino can go six six to third innings, seven innings, he sometimes can go into the eighth inning. So it's not surprising. This this talks pretty well with how deep a pitcher is going and how well he's gonna uh, how many innings he's gonna give you on any given day. Yeah, to give you a, give you some context, so, so um, Severino is one of the very best in baseball. Um, at going deep. There's a couple of players who, who, who pitch a lot that, that go a little bit deeper. Guys like Chris Archer, Justin Verlander, who's, who leads the league. Um, guys like Chris Sale. But uh, Severino's not that far behind. He's tied with Max Scherzer, John Lester, Carlos Carrasco, Corey Kluber. Uh, so that, that's that's pretty good company. That, that's actually kind of impressive. Um, so I, I think the lesson there is that you know we can trust Luis Severino to go pretty, pretty late in the games. Um, on the other hand, Sabathia is one of the absolute worst in baseball. Um, he is, uh, his, his score is, as I kind of look at this, he's actually not, not actually on the whole, the whole leaderboard right here, which means I need to stall while I look up his actual score. He would rank as the very worst starter in baseball at stamina. Exactly. So that tells you something. So Sabathia should not be pitching deep into games. Uh, they should be pulling him. Yeah, exactly. So that's going to give you four or five solid innings, but after that he needs to be pulled and he needs to be replaced by one of the other pitcher relievers that's going to be able to give up an inning or two. Yeah, um, so also on this list I'm looking, Jordan Montgomery actually doesn't grade out that well. Um, it's 68, which is high compared to like the other relievers on this list, but compared to starters, he's actually bottom 10 in the majors in stamina. Um, so Jordan Montgomery, also not a guy who last year could go deep into games, but he was a rookie. I think that that's kind of um, that's not a pattern until it happens a little bit more. 
which is interesting, but yeah, like I said at the beginning, uh, command power and stamina scores are not predictive, they're more mm -hmm. uh, in retrospective. So we're going to have to see how Jordan Montgomery is going to do next when the season starts. And that's going to help us determine whether Jordan Montgomery is more likely to fill in the rotation or he's going to be a reliever in the, at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, th this is all very new science, so we're still learning. We're still learning about these statistics and, and if they're useful at all. Um, for now, we think that they point to something useful because the the patterns look look accurate, right? The the, the pattern, for example, command showed all those guys going deep into games. Um, but again, you know, we're talking about Jordan Montgomery with a 68 stamina score. Also, the 68 stamina stamina score is none none other than Mr. Clayton Kershaw. Uh, so yeah, that that's good company to be in. It's not it's not clear that that's the, what that really means, um, but it does seem to be clear that a lot of pitchers who go really deep into games just definitionally have a high stamina score. So that's a good thing. Um, let's go into the relievers. I think the relievers are a little more interesting here because there's a little more variation um, in stamina score, um, and it also sort of makes sense that that you have guys. Every starter is on the same rest, but not every relief pitcher is on the same rest. And so you can learn from these data which relief pitchers are um, who you could feel comfortable pitching more often and which ones you, would you not feel comfortable pitching more often. So talk to me about the best relievers in terms of stamina score on the Yankees. Okay. In terms of stamina, the best relievers you got are, well, Montgomery, who you don't even know if he's going to be a reliever or a starter. But in terms, if he's a reliever, he's got the best stamina score. Then you got Luis Sessa. You got Domingo Germán, Chad Green, Dylan Bentances, Tommy Canley, and those are those are pitchers who are barely uh, breaking uh, over 50 on the stamina score. So above average. Yeah. Or is 50 not the average here? 50 is the average. It is okay. So yeah. so those so Bentances, Green, Herman, Sessa are the, the the above average Yankee pitchers or exactly. average. And at the bottom, we got Adam Warren with a stamina score of 40. Then you got Erlis Chapman and Jason Shreve. So this is interesting. So I think it, it definitely made sense to, I think, anybody watching last year that Araldis Chapman was not great if you pitched him consecutive days. And this stamina score seems to confirm that. It not only confirms it, but if you recall back to when he was pitching with the Cubs for the 2016 World Series, that Game 7 outing, he he looked uh, tired. He His arm was giving up and that was after pitching not only uh more than an inning but he's coming off three days uh less than three days of well no sorry he's pitching on three consecutive days so yeah it it shows you that arroz chapman for all the power he has he's not very he's not going to give you much if you're pushing him yeah so that, i think that's a good lesson to learn from these data also adam warren is interesting here adam warren who had a really good command score right and, and had a very good season uh, has the lowest stamina score on the Yankees, a quite low stamina score of 40. Uh, what that means is that you know Adam Warren, I think we all kind of thought of him as a workhorse type, but really isn't a workhorse type. Really, he's a guy who should be going one inning at a time like every other day at max. At max, one inning at a time. Yeah. He's probably going to be somebody who's, you're going to bring to face one, two pitch hitters, and that's it. Yeah. So, so new statistics. These are on Baseball Prospectus's website. Um, I will continue to monitor them and hopefully learn a little bit more about what they uh, what they mean. Um, uh, again, right, right now, it's not really worth you know overreacting to these picture the, these new statistics. Um, but it's interesting nonetheless. It tells us a little bit about these players, um, at least in language in, in in quantifiable language that we've never really had. 
Um, but I'd like to move on to something a little more esoteric. This is the nerdiest thing we're going to talk about in this podcast ever, probably. And that is pitch tunneling. Uh, so pitch tunneling refers to uh, the... Uh, well, let's back up for a second. A pitcher throws a pitch. They throw a pitch very fast at a batter. And there's a point at uh, when that pitch is thrown where the batter is forced to make a decision of whether to swing or not to swing. After a certain point, if a, when a pitch moving at a certain speed gets to a certain point, the batter no longer has the ability, uh, or rather the, the, the batter already has to have reacted. There is there's no more time to make a decision. The brain cannot process that information fast enough. Um, and all sorts of studies show this, that, that uh, the studies have put uh, actual sunglasses and glasses on players, and then at a certain point, they've, uh, they've, they've, they've blacked out those glasses so they can't see anything. And we've determined the exact time where that, that blacking out those glasses matters, does anything to the batter's swing. Um, and so, and this, this makes intuitive sense if you think about it. So, so uh, uh, at some point, at some point you, can, you no longer have time uh, to decide to swing or not swing at a fastball or how to swing at it. And so what players would like to do is sequence their pitches so that they throw a pitch that looks like something at, at that tunneling point and ends up being something different. So if you can't tell the difference between a, a fastball and a splitter at a certain tunneling point, you can't make the decision whether to swing or not swing, and so you're just guessing and, and trying to predict what the pitcher has thrown rather than seeing it, reacting to it, and putting a good swing on it. So the, the, the pitchers would like to maximize that difference either by either by pitch selection, by, so by pitching a splitter after a fastball, or by having just having the arsenal to do so. Um, does that make sense, Martin? Uh, yeah, you, you got some of it right, and then the, the last part, I think, is where you, things went a little bit off track. All right, there we go. By the way, guys, Martin is the expert on this. Martin is an author on the, the most recent pitch telling article and has designed a fantastic visualization app on baseball perspectives that you can see what I'm talking about. Yeah, uh, I actually just did the app, not really the stats. For the stats, you can, and all that research, you can thank Kate Morrison, Jeff Long, and Harry Pavlidis. But yeah, basically what, what pitch tunneling does is it tries to measure the point at which two pitches start looking differently and where the batter has to make the decision where he's swinging or he's going to stop his swing, actually, not where he's just not going to swing. Uh, what, what it does is you have three points when, when a pitcher throws the ball. You have your release point, which is where the pitcher is going to release the ball and if he does it consistently. Then you have your tunnel point, which is where the pitches are going to start looking different and at the point where the batter has to decide where to swing or to stop his swing. And you got the plate distance, which is where the pitches are going to cross the plate and be determined whether they're a strike or a ball. And the goal is the, the, a pitcher benefits from the batter not knowing where the, pit, where the actual ball is going to end up when at that tunneling point. Exactly. The, what pitchers are going to try and do is they're going to try and minimize the distance at the at the tunnel point. So they're going to try and have a pitch look ex, have two separate pitches look exactly the same until that point of separation. You got to think right now like a guy like Greg Maddox who in, who influenced the idea of pitch tunneling, who worked to make his pitches look as similar as possible and then start separating. If you see video of videos of Maddox nowadays, you're going to see videos of his fastball, of his curve, and of his changeup. You're going to see it 
move just the same and then at one point they're gonna break apart and it just pulls hitters and this is what pitch tunnel tries to do and that's the nice thing about a pitch like a splitter right that that you can throw with a very very similar motion to a fastball and get a very different result exactly that that's the whole point because this so, is this is deception yeah. So we're not going to get too deeply into the data on pitch tunneling because it's uh, it's it's a little bit confusing and esoteric. Uh, but there is one statistic we're going to talk about a little bit, uh, and that is the statistic of plate distance. So Martin, can you explain what plate distance is? Yeah, plate distance is the absolute distance between two uh, two consecutive pitches uh, when they reach the plate. So where a pitch is in the middle of the strike zone and the next pitch is at the uh, the bottom of the strike zone, that's the distance, that's a plate distance. So when, when you hear somebody analyzing baseball talking about going up and in and then out and away, right, that, that would be maximizing the, 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 the plate distance yeah, between it, two pitches. Yeah, it's the absolute difference. So you're, you're going to see pitchers who are trying to get all over the plate, and then you're going to see pitchers who are always trying to hit their spots. But these spots can be up and away, out and in, uh, down the middle, but at the bottom of the strike zone. So yeah, it's basically how much the, the degree of separation when the pitch crosses the plate. Now this is another statistic that it's not necessarily a good thing to be at either extremes of it, um, or a bad thing to be at either to be at, be at either extreme. But it does tell you something about the pitcher about how they play. So for example, Mariano Rivera might have had a very small plate difference uh, to to the same 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 side batter at least, right? So to a to a left-handed batter. He's going to be at the same spot every single time. To a right-handed batter, he's going to be at the same spot every single time. Uh, and he was good at that, and he would have had a very high command score, for instance, um, but um, wouldn't have showed up great on our on our, 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 our uh, play distance metric right here. Um, but I, I, I think it's, it is, in general, it's, it's a good thing to mix up your pitches, even if there are reasons why you might not want to mix up your pitches. For example, Araldus Chapman might just want to throw a high 105 mile an hour fastball every time and see if anybody can hit it, right? That that's a logical action for him to take, and he doesn't need to have a high play distance. But somebody who doesn't have great stuff, like some of the players we're going to talk about, that is that's not maybe not necessary, but is important for them. Yeah, we we have a theory that says that maybe pitchers with high power scores are probably not going to be maximizing their play distance because they're going to be challenging on one consistent spot to see if anybody can hit it. And they will do it until somebody shows that they can hit it. But yeah, mostly what a pitcher wants to do is he wants to find that sweet spot between maximum play distance and minimizing play distance because he wants to keep the hitter guessing where the pitch is going to go. All right, so uh, we, we have a bunch of Yankees that we've got the full leaderboard out here for all starters in the major leagues or anybody who's throwing at least 1,000 pitches. And two Yankees show up near the top of that. So they have a very large play distance, large difference, absolute difference between pitch at time T and pitch at time T plus one, or pitch T and pitch T plus one. Um, so what, who are those two players? And uh, tell me a little bit about them. Well, surprisingly enough, uh, the leader of the Yankees pitchers is Jordan Montgomery with, a play dis- with an average play distance of 24.27 followed by CC Sabathia with a plate distance of 19.86. And so Montgomery is second best in baseball, CC Sabathia is sixth best in baseball. Correct. Yes. All right. So tell me, so you know a little bit about, about Jordan Montgomery or CC Sabathia. Tell me a little bit about their pitch arsenal and why this makes sense. Well, 
Uh, I know more, honestly, I know more about Sabathia than I know about Montgomery, but Sabathia basically is a fastball, curveball, changeup guy, and he's gonna be, his fastball is not challenging enough, he's throwing in the low 90s, high 80s, and he's gonna be complimenting more on his off-speed pitches and trying to keep batters guessing where the pitch is gonna go. So that's why Sabathia's ranked highly with the command score, but not as high with the power score. And you can see what, by play distance that he's all he's gonna be all over the place. He's never gonna be throwing at the same exact spot twice. Montgomery, uh, as far as he's I a know, four. Let me, he's a four pitch pitcher. That's yeah. that's the Montgomery is a true four pitch pitcher. He throws a fastball forty one percent of the time, slider thirteen percent, curveball twenty six percent, changeup nineteen percent, and so be, by throwing so many different pitches, each individual pitch is going to go to a different location. Um, each time, and that, that's how Mon- that's how Jordan Montgomery li- exactly. lives. So batters can't kind of key in on a fastball or something like that. Exactly, and the slider moves horizontally, and changeup and curveball move vertically. So all of this movement is going to cause confusion, and it's going to be moving around the plate. He's not he's not going to go consistently to the same spot in the strike zone. So he can start a pitcher off a uh, batter with a high and in fastball, and then goes with the curveball low and away. So that's going to be the plate distance between them. Now, one of the Yankees with one of the lowest play differences in the league is Masahiro Tanaka. He is 11th worst in the league, or I should say 11th lowest. Worst is probably not the not the word we want to use here. So tell me a little bit about Tanaka. I, I'm a little bit surprised here. I would expect that that Mr. Mr. Fastball uh, splitter would be pretty high in play distance. Well, first of all, uh, his play distance is uh, 17.2 inches. So, yeah, it's three inches less than Montgomery. So it's not that big of a, of a bridge, but yeah, he's still gonna be throwing a fastball and he's fastball splitter, and he's gonna be uh, pitching them close, uh, more close together than he's gonna be pitching and that any other pitcher is gonna go. And that may be because he's trying to hit an exact spot on the on the plate, on the strike zone. Yep. My, my my impression of, of Tanaka, and maybe this is just bad memory, is that if he's going to go splitter against a guy, he's going to throw five splitters down and away, one after another. Same pitch, same pitch, same pitch, same pitch. Um, or often he'll go fastball up and in, same pitch, again and again and again. Um, and that's and he's got pretty good control, so he doesn't really go all over the place. Exactly. And so you get a low play distance. Yeah, right. And you got to think a bit of, of this terms because a pitcher is going to attack uh, a, li- a left-handed hitter and a right-handed hitter with different pitches so maybe you're gonna go same side splitter with against a right-handed pitcher and you're gonna use the fat you're gonna opt for using a slider against left-handed pitchers left-handed hitters so that all comes into account when you're trying to measure plate distance yeah so you know these statistics are available in baseball prospectus you can look them up yourself look them up yourself if you're interested uh another statistic or set of numbers that we are still working on we don't really know yet what all of this means and so we are. Uh, um, the, the, these are these are still developing. I'm going to be keeping an eye on this. Hopefully, Martin will be keeping an eye on this, uh, and we will um, we'll, we'll we'll report back to you as as more data comes out. Um, but you know, overall, you know, I think it, I it, it at least all seems to jive with what I think about uh, or how I think about Yankee Yankee pitchers. Yeah. Uh, what, how- what we've seen and what we're talking right now is, yeah, Yankee pitchers are not right now considered elite, but they're, they are considered good. They're, they are in the high tier for 
power, command, and stamina. And you see them that they're all mixing and matching their pitches when it comes to play distance and when it comes to sequencing their pitches. Yeah, and you can especially see with the with uh, in the, out of the bullpen that that power just just stands out. The Yankees just have so much power in this bullpen, and um, and that tells us something that we already knew, but now we can put a number to it. So I guess that's special. Martin, thank you very much for joining me. This has been a great episode. Thank you everybody everybody for who stuck uh, stuck with us. I promise next week will be much less nerdy. Next week we got some spring training stuff to talk about, which is fantastic. Lots of fun. Um, it might be a Tuesday night thing instead of a Wednesday night thing next week because Wednesday night is Valentine's Day, and I don't think I'm allowed to record that night. Uh, everybody, thank you for, for, for listening. This has been your Bronx Beat Podcast.